What's up, storytellers? As we continue our series where we go beyond technique to figure out how to write better stories, we wanted to take a look at the concept of hope. What is it? Why do stories rely on it? And why do we tell those stories? Those are all pretty interesting questions about hope. Um, that's what we're covering on today's show. I'm Jay Shear, co-author of the full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter. We're in final production now, so I can't wait to release it to you guys. Um, and joining me today is Caleb Monroe. I'll add him to the stream here. What's up, Caleb? How you doing? Good. And Caleb is a comic book writer, a screenwriter, and one of the deepest thinkers about storytelling that I know. But you would know that if you've been following our live series, because uh, he has been all about that. Uh, he's also on the Reclamation Society's Storytelling Brain Trust and will be writing a short film for us uh, for YouTube, hopefully soon. COVID has slowed a little bit of that stuff down, but we're, we're still pushing forward on some of that. So how is this Friday for you, Caleb? You doing good this Friday? I'm doing good this Friday. I'm in a different location, traveling, visiting some friends, birthday party. So doing well. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's always good to be able to get out a little bit when there's and see your friends because it's it's very crazy to be cooped up at home this whole time mm -hmm. um well we are going to again get very deep and introspective about the the concept of storytelling and like i said we're focusing on hope today it's all about hope today um we do want you this is a live show so you can you're you can be in the comments comments i've got a comment um on youtube from robin so robin hello it looks like it, Robin is a Monroe, so that looks like you might know Robin, Caleb. Yes, I do. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, before we jump into this discussion about hope, uh, let me read Google's definition of hope. And you can open any dictionary and find whatever it says. This is what Google says. Um, it says a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, a feeling of trust, and then wanting something to happen or to be the case. So let me ask you this, Caleb. Does every story rely on hope in some way, shape, or form? Or do certain stories have hope and other stories don't have hope? Uh, I will I will give you my favorite definition of hope. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, let's hear and, it. And then I will answer that question. My favorite hope uh, definition of hope comes from philosopher James K.A. Smith. Mm. Uh, and he just he describes it as imagining otherwise. Mm. And so I would say that there are, there can be stories without hope. Mm. Uh, I mentioned this, I think, in our conversation back in the spring, uh, something that Eric, uh, the artist Eric Fischel said in an interview back in the 90s that, that really stuck with me. But he talked about the tr traditional roles of the artist are to portray paradise, the mm. fall, heaven, and hell. Ooh. And the, the way that that, the way that I read that is what's right with the world, what's wrong with the world, how things can get worse and how things can get better. Mm. And I would say all of those are spaces for hope, except for the, how things can get worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By, by definition. So most stories um, will hope will, will play a significant role, yeah. but, um, but there is a, there's a space particularly in cautionary tales um, mm. for there to, to be no hope. Well, first of all, you can always guarantee that Caleb will be super well-read. <laughs> like that's gonna, that is a guarantee if you're listening to Caleb talk on a podcast. Um, and I, and I think you're right on. I love, I love those categories. Those, can you say those categories one more time? Yes. What's right with the world? What's wrong with the world? 
how things can get better and how things can get worse. Yes. Perfect. Um, and it's, it's so funny because like last last show we did. So this is going to be every two weeks, every two, every other Friday, basically. So two weeks ago when we did our show on beyond the technique of storytelling, it I was I was going to answer this question is like, you know, some stories don't rely on hope, but I still feel like even in the stories about how something can get worse some of the characters still have hopes that it won't, right? Like, like there's always some character that has some sort of hope that things are going to get better in some way, even if the progression of the story is telling them that it's only getting way worse. And, and, and a lot of that came from prompting on what you said last time in the last show about desire. And all characters have some sort of desire. Um, a lot of characters have the desire that things would get better. Um, some of the characters in the story for sure have that, hopefully. Um, and desire being this driving force. So if I was started to think about it, reflecting on our, our last conversation as desire is a driving force and the end result of that driving force, the picture in their mind is what hope would look like, right? Um, and I think that that's really interesting. Like hope is is sort of like an underlying vision of what could be in the future. Um, so not all stories are hopeful just based on your definition. I, I, that's obvious, right? Like mm -hmm. very, very obvious. Um, but all stories do seem to contain hope in some way, even if the ultimate goal of the story is to show like the opposite of hope or despair in some way or something along those lines. So, um, in, in, it's kind of interesting in that, in that regard, like all, even, even audiences, even audiences that are, that are viewing or reading or engaging in the work of the of the artist in some way even they put hope into to the movie right like or or the mm -hmm. tv show or the book like they will bring their own emotions into that um so it's interesting i i do think that there are let me run this by you because i want to get your feedback on this too i think that hope is such a complex topic because it it's so layered of a topic in other words you've got basic needs and our hope for basic needs like food and shelter we have hope for psychological needs, like we want love and affection. Um, we have local and globally focused hope about safety, protection, community. We have uh, philosophical and spiritual needs that relate to hope as we talk about meaning and purpose and even post-life or afterlife meaning, right? Like like all of these things. So what do you, when you think about hope and you, you talk about those four categories that you gave us, you know, how how is hope layered in your mind is is are there multiple layers of hope or is it all sort of related to the same thing uh i think there i think hope is the same mm. but i think that there are degrees of it ah i like that uh, just sort of like last time when we were talking about the that every story is going to involve a question but some of those are going to be deeper questions than others mm. and some are some are going to lead you to a sitcom episode and then some are going to lead you to something that haunts you for <laughs> a movie that haunts <laughs> you for years and i think hope is that way too mm. and i think that the i think hope is proportionately related to the the darkness in a story ah. um so you you hit on something a, a minute ago that uh, that i that i was hoping to bring up today and that is mm that I consider tragedy a function of hope because oh, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. a story is a tragedy when it violates your audience's hopes. 
And it's a violation of hope, but, but because, because the audience has hope, that is why it's tragic. Otherwise it would just be an ending. Mm. What makes it a tragic ending is that we want hope, desire, and even think there should be a different way that it goes. And so that makes it tragedy. Uh, Hope is closely related to, hope is not optimism. Uh, So, uh, and and to clarify what I mean by that, hope involves lament. Hmm. Um, That there is, I'm hoping for something because it's, I'm not seeing it. Uh, and so, and so I'm also lamenting that this thing I'm hoping for is not here. Mm. And that can, that can take a lot of different forms. Um, but uh, Smith, whose definition I, I, I quoted earlier, you know, he, he talks about lament as sort of just naming something as mm. an, as an eruption of the cosmos, as an interruption of the cosmos, that it just, it feels wrong. And right. by hoping by hoping for something different, we're also commenting this isn't right, and um, so it's a hope is a it has a moral component. Hope is a should, and not a could. Mm. Um, uh, it's not this could happen or this could happen. It's this should happen, and that's why I hope for it, and that's why it's so tragic when that doesn't happen. Mm. Um, uh, so it's. So, like I said earlier, hope is this imagining otherwise, but it's an otherwise that fulfills our longings. Mm. So going back to what you were saying, hope is a type of desire. We're, mm. we're talking about being creatures of desire, and hope is one of those desires. It's a very strong desire. It's a longing for an otherwise than, than, than what is in front of us because there's something that we're lamenting what's in front of us. You can't have hope without lament. If you have hope without lament, then what you get is optimism. Um, uh, so uh, Terry Eagleton in his book, Hope Without Optimism, uh, has a great quote. He says, optimists are as bereft of hope as nihilists because they have no need of it. Oh, wow. Um, so if you just think everything is great, you don't, ha- you don't need hope. Right. Um, and uh, he, he goes on to say that, you know, whatever the professed political standpoint uh, someone who is an optimist is conservative because their faith in a benign future is rooted in their trust in the essential soundness of the present. Mm. Hope, on the other hand, points out that there are things unsound in the present. And uh, that is why we are desiring another outcome. That's why we are desiring a difference. And so tragedy is a function of hope. This is not how it should go. Uh, and that's why, that's why, the end of Hamlet or the end of Romeo and Juliet still bothers me every time. <laughs> I know where the story's going, but every time it just it cuts like a knife because it just shouldn't have ha- you know it shouldn't have been right. Um, and and it's not just tragedy. Blues takes on this you know blues yeah. uh, lament is is actually a form of poetry. Stepping aside from the act of just sort of decrying something or 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 wishing otherwise. Um, lament as poetry Mm. uh horror i think we and we talked about this back in the spring all falls into this category of there's something wrong now Mm. um there's something amiss there's been an interruption in the cosmos and so what i'm hoping for is for uh, something otherwise than than what's happening and 
so just to, to do one final quote from Smith. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I'm quoting because it's an essay called The Art of Hope, which oh. I love by him. And I went back and reread it before, <laughs> before we talked. Um, Perfect. So one final quote from Smith. He says that art that inhabits um, dis... Oh, my word. There's something wrong with words there. Oh, art that inhabits the tension of lament and hope um, mm. doesn't just communicate the message, um, but it actually does what it's talking about. Because mm -hmm. when, when you convey lament in an artful manner, mm. you're actually making the world a little bit better. Mm. Um, you're, you're taking something horrible and you're turning it into something um, uh, that contributes towards the future that you want. It makes the world a little bit otherwise. So an art of lament and an art where lament and hope meet um, is actually accomplishing the very thing that it's longing for. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, one of the ways that I think about this is in, 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 the, in the Jewish Bible, mm. or the Old Testament, there, there are women who are professional mourners. That mm. like when, when someone dies, there, there were women in the town who would come and wail and mourn the, that person's death. And you, you see, they come up several times, you know, several times throughout many different books in, in, in the Jewish scriptures. And what's very interesting is that the verb that is used for what they, to describe what they do is the same verb that's used to describe artists and craftsmen. Oh, no way. So, so, so their mourning is described as an art mm. form. And, and I think that there's, uh, I think that's a wonderful way of sort of picturing or, or a door into understanding this connection between hope and lament and that mm. you can't have hope without lament. Otherwise mm. it's optimism. Um, and the, the, the two are, are twins. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I love that. I love that, that conversation piece. Just a couple comments I want to pick up on really quick. Mm -hmm. uh, Robin said, uh, maybe it's like needing light when it is totally dark. And that's very similar to what you're saying. Like you can't, you have to have the lament of the darkness in order to seek the light or to hope for the light. Um, I like that a lot. Uh, I know I'm paraphrasing what you said and I'm butchering <laughs> it, but still. Uh, also, Cherie says, wow, there are things unsound in the present. That's cool. Um, and I think this is why I think, why I was mentioning earlier that uh, all writers, all creatives when you're talking about story, will have to inc be inclusive of hope in some way, shape, or form because it's almost like you can't have conflict without somebody hoping for something different, right? Like we don't have a mm -hmm. desire unless we're hoping for something different to occur and therefore conflict will will come about whether we want something that's better, like, like the Avengers want something that's better for the universe or whether we're like Thanos and we think that our definition of better is actually something far worse we have a hope that something that it would all look different. So even villains or like to your point about even, even horror has the hope of some people who may have uh, a very uh, wrong sense of what hope should look like. Right. I think a lot of us using you're, you're using the, the you're using scripture as an example. So I will too, but the concept mm -hmm. of the word of Shalom and the, everything is as it should be. Right. Well, stories are basically everything is not as it should be. And how do we figure out how to get it back to some sense of some sense of shalom? I think that that's a really cool thing for 
uh, people like you and me, people who are working on stories to contend with um, mm -hmm. is a really cool thing. So what are well, some examples? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, that just that ties into last week when we were talking about um, that, you know, people have about a thousand daydreams a day, very brief, yeah. just a few <laughs> seconds and, and dream many times during the night, but that almost all of them have a have a, this universal structure, which mm. is there is a problem mm. that someone is trying to solve. So whether that's rehearsing what you're going to say before you walk into a meeting or whether that's, you know, something that's happening to you in a dream, uh, stories have this just intrinsic DNA of there's a problem someone is trying to solve. And that right there puts us in the realm of hope and lament because yep. a problem means there's something unsound now. There's something that, <laughs> right. should, that should not be. And, and hope is the idea that it can be solved yeah. um, because the opposite of hope is despair. And that's when you, that's, Oh no, no this can't be solved. Mm. And um, what's interesting is we think about despair as, as sort of an emotion on its own or, or maybe like a, like the extreme version of sadness. Mm. Um, but I think despair is actually a type of pride mm. um, because what we're essentially saying is I can't see a way that things can improve. Therefore they must not be able to improve. Um, uh, you know, and so I, despair is a type of pride and the opposite of hope. And it's this idea that things can't get better. And if you have despair, you don't have a story because the character doesn't try to solve the problem. Oh, that's really good. I, I actually think the next topic we might talk through is despair. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, two Fridays from now we'll be talking about despair. Um, are, what are some examples in your mind? I mean, we've talked about how hope shows up in a lot of different stories in a lot of different ways, even if it's just the audience reacting to it. Though, like you said, in the four categories, hope is not intrinsic uh intrinsically the end result of any of those stories right like there can be different end results mm -hmm. what are some examples in your mind of what you would consider to be hopeful stories uh let's see well the first two things that mm. pop into my mind are um the fountain mm. and first reformed okay i'm sure that there are are many others. And if I, if I thought about it, you know, but those two popped to my mind, the final image of the fountain has just always stuck with me. It's, it's mm. a, it's a movie about suffering and struggle throughout time, throughout all of history. Oh, wow. Um, but it ends in a very beautiful way. Mm. And, um, first reformed, what I particularly liked about first reformed is that the ending is a little unclear. Oh. And so everyone I talk to has a slightly different interpretation of the ending mm. and and their interpretation of the ending really tells you a lot about what their hopes are. Uh, uh, in, interesting. In this world and 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 what they so you know cuz I I don't want to spoil anything. It's such a good movie. It's one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. Go see First Reformed. But because the ending is a little bit unclear, I think it actually ends up becoming a, a space for the operation of hope. Mm. Um, it's a space where it's, it's not clear cut as in the thing hoped for happened, but it's mm. also not clear cut as in this is a tragedy. The thing hoped for did not happen. Um, uh, it is, it is here is this space and now interpret it. How much lament do you think there is in it and how much hope? I love that. 
That's cool. I'm gonna have to watch that movie because I have not seen that yet. So that's like a must watch for me. I have yeah. several examples to run by you too, um, and and mine are all going to come from the geek world, science fiction, <laughs> fantasy, and comic books, just because that's the world that I've lived in for so long with a podcast that I do called the Story Geeks Podcast. Um, I think just about every Pixar movie deals with hope in some way, but I want to point to two, especially one of them. Inside Out to me deals a lot with hope because. One of the things I found fascinating about that film is that Riley's emotional health during the change that she's experienced is either being guided by hope or despair at any point in time. Right. And some of the problems, the problems that she's facing are not necessarily of her own. uh, She didn't create them herself. They, they have been thrust upon her because she's in a lot of change. And And it occurs to me that hope and despair are sort of this like teeter totter foundation of how her emotions show up to the control panel. So sadness can show up and be very healthy and sadness can show up and be uh, the foundation of lament that you're talking about whereupon you build hope, but sadness can also show up in a really unhealthy way where you just slip into despair and you just wallow in that despair and don't even see any sign of hope or an ability to get back to some some semblance of shalom or, ever, or the world as it should be. So I think that that they don't they don't talk about hope in I don't think in the entire movie, but it was very instructive to me to watch a Pixar film, which is for families, to deal with situations and emotions that have this under underpinnings that are really foundational to your understanding of how will things improve in my life or how will things get worse in my life and which which lens in my viewing life through i thought that was really really fascinating um the other pixar film i wanted to throw out there is coco uh because it's about a kid learning to find hope despite the fact that he even knows that life will end and that family relationships will end and he's like trying to find hope beyond those those constraints um so i think that that's a really really cool one too and then I'm just going to throw out a, like a, several others that I'm not going to get deeper into, but I love your your response to them. Mm-hmm. Um, a, any of those that make sense for you to respond to. Uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King to me is super hopeful. We did a podcast about that with Andrew Peterson, who is a uh, singer-songwriter. Um, and he was talking about uh, this concept of catastrophe and the fact that human beings can't always solve the problems and we need some... Uh, some external force to kind of right the world for us. And that's exemplified, of course, by Frodo not being able to throw the ring um, into Mount Doom, but it's still working out in the end, um, which I want to talk to you about some other time because there's there's also some parts of storytelling where we're like, no, we want to be able to do those things. So it's kind of fascinating to me. But um, also, I mean, any of the any of the MCU films, any of the Star Wars films, all of those films kind of have this semblance of like, well, we want good to win out. And the problem that we're experiencing is a pretty significant one. So any of those stand out to you as being particularly guiding in terms of hope? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the MCU and superhero films are really more... Um, they're more like puzzle solving, mm. I think, I think than, than, than a great framework to aim hope on. Uh, I, I think the I think in those movies the characters hope more than we do. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I think you're right. Yeah, because <laughs> they are hoping to fix the world, but we know they're going to. Um, right. So 
so it, it you know it's a different especially anything that's an ongoing series you know you know that there's going to be a certain conclusion and mm. and or certain types of genres we've talked before about romance uh, you know the the two people will end up together yeah um and and that is that is okay too because um knowing where it's going but not knowing the journey mm. uh is is still incredibly engaging for an audience but you know so for the marvel movies i think we hope more i mean the characters hope more than we do um, yeah. Lord of the Rings, I think, is a great example, and and that word "you catastrophe" was created by Tolkien, talking in his essay on fairy stories, where he talked about his approach to writing fantasy, uh, which is just to bring it all back. It was reading on fairy stories. Tolkien doesn't say this, but it was on reading it that I reached my conclusion that tragedy is a side effect of hope, because oh, um, he gets he starts talking about some of those meta story things. And uh, he talks about tragedy as the highest form of drama mm. and you catastrophe is the highest form of fairy tale. Um, awesome. Yeah. I love that because tragedies are some of my favorites. So mm -hmm. it, yeah, so I think uh, Lord of the Rings is, is a really, really, really good example. Justin Weaver, who's one of the Story Geeks hosts actually, co-host of the Story Geeks. Um, he says up asks, so up Pixar's up, asks hope and despair questions too like how can life continue and even get bigger after tremendous loss referring to carl's wife passing and uh russell's absent father which is yeah that's a really good example pixar mm -hmm. is an exemplary storytelling force in the world these days um so two, i have two more questions for you okay the first the first is so the last question is going to be how we include it in our writing and how we mm -hmm. go about go about having hope inclusive in our writing. And one of the things that I'm going to come back, remind me that I have an example for that. And it's actually a romance um, because it, I think that La La Land does a, gives us a really fascinating, fantastic example of what you just said about we know a romance is going to end a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk about that because I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but before we get there, before we jump into that, um, why do we even tell stories that are so inclusive of hope? Why is that? We've already talked about how there's sort of it's just sort of a natural occurrence because of conflict um, and because of desire. But why why do we why do we do this? Why what's the deeper meaning that we tell these stories? So I think that. Um, so hope is a side effect of being a creature of desire because it's desiring a better outcome than, or a different outcome than what we're, what we're observing. But being creatures of desire behind that mm. is being creatures of imagination. Because oh, yeah. um, to, to desire something means you can imagine a different version. It's, you know, if you're, if you're hungry, you have to imagine what it's like to be fed to desire food. Um, if mm. you're, you know, any, any, you can use any example. So, Imagination is where desire is born mm. and hope is a type of desire. Mm. And, you know, so this, this, becomes, this is very relevant because we're talking about storytelling, which is, which is a very intentional imaginative act. But I think we also have to remember that reading is an imaginative act and so is pretty much most of being a human. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, daydreams and dreams, all those things we were talking about, which take up hours of our day Right. Uh, those are imaginative acts, but it, it, but it goes even beyond that. Um, and so I'm going to, um, uh, for, for those who may not have heard us heard last week, mm -hmm. I, I work at a church. So, um, 
uh, I have some, I have theological underpinnings from some of my thinking, but I'm going to, so I'm going to refer to scripture here. But before I do that, I'm going to be talking about the story of the creation of humanity mm. at the beginning of Genesis. Nice. Uh, but before I do that, I understanding that there uh, are probably people watching who don't, um, uh, who consider that a parable. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's perfectly fine. I think the what's interesting to me about parables mm. as a storytelling form is that to get the meaning out of them, you have to imagine that they're true. You have to mm. treat you have to treat them as true to understand what they're saying. Mm. So um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you don't if you don't treat that as the actual story of someone who is left for dead, ignored by the rich and religious elites, and then saved and healed by someone from a despised so, um, socio-ethnic group, right. then you miss the meaning of the story. Because yes. Jesus is using that story to, to talk about what does it mean to be a neighbor. And he's saying, well, this despised person, if they act this way, is a neighbor. And these revered people, if they act this way, are not. Mm. And so you have to treat it as a true story to get the meaning out of it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about Genesis and, and Eden and Adam and Eve and all that sort of stuff. But I would just, I would just put forth that mm. uh, either way, whether you think it's parable, whether you think it's literal, whether you think it's a combination of the two, the way to get the meaning out of it is just to treat it as literal. Um, and Perfect. so as the, Love. as the best selling book of all time, it, there's obviously something in there that resonates uh, <laughs> right, with people. Right, right. So it's worth going to this story to, to think about some of these things, these mm -hmm. big things behind the things. So very shortly after the Bible begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens mm -hmm. and the earth. And then you get down and on 26 verses later, uh, he, God creates people. Right. It says, And what's really interesting about that is that God creates people in God's image. Right. And so you're only 26 verses into the story, but you're being told these things are made like this thing. Mm. So then what do you know about this thing? Mm. What, do you, what do we know about God at that point? So what is our initial understanding of image of God supposed to even mean? Mm. You know, because we're reading this first, right. theoretically. And at that point, we know three things about God in, in, this, in this story. And that is that God is creative because we're in the middle of the creation narrative, right? Uh, that God is relational. And this comes out a couple ways. Uh, for one thing, God says, let us mm. uh, make humanity in our image. But beyond that, there, there is the fact that it takes two humans, male and female to reflect the image. Uh, mm. Because the, the way that the way, the way the verse goes is that um, male and female plural um, reflect were made in the image singular. So right. it takes, it takes, it takes actual relationship to reflect that, to reflect mm. that image. So in this, in this story, what we know so far is that God is creative, God is relational and that God is a storyteller because the premise is that, that, that God is telling this story. Right. Um, God was the only person there. So, <laughs> you know, for, so, and I think that, you see those things universally in humans that, that we are creative, that we are relational and that we are storytelling. And we've talked a lot about storytelling in particular uh, on this show, but 
what's interesting to me about all of that is behind all of those is imaginative. Um, to create, you have to imagine something that hasn't been made yet or that is different than what is around you. Mm. Um, imagination is the engine of relationship. It, um, without imagination, there's no empathy because empathy is largely an imaginative act of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Mm. Um, and, and even beyond that, um, in the book Sapiens, the author's name is totally escaping me. Um, I am so sorry. <laughs> author, author of Sapiens, I'm so sorry that your name has escaped me. Um, but the book Sapiens, you know, is a huge hit, sort of the history of, of humanity mm. written a few a while back. And he points out something very interesting about how there are, were a lot of animals and are a lot of animals on earth. Um, and there are social animals on earth and there are cooperative animals on earth. But then almost all of those, that pretty much all those systems involve every individual knowing every other individual in the cooperative. Mm. That, that part of what made humanity unique is the ability to picture themselves as part of something much bigger than themselves. Uh, this is the only way you can get nations or mm. cities. Um, you know, someone had to be able to imagine that this person that they've never met that's a thousand miles away is the king and that they are part of the kingdom and all the other people who they haven't met, um, that that's an act of imagination, that society mm. is an act of imagination. It's us being able to picture um, being a part of things that, that we have not experienced directly. Yeah. Um, and so relationship is a very imaginative act. And then finally, story storytelling, of course, is an imaginative act. And this is why, this is gonna sound silly, um, <laughs> Uh, but this is why I feel so strong about strong. So I'm so strongly against parents who don't want to tell their kids about Santa Claus um, or don't want their no. kids to believe in Santa Claus. Uh, because I think that that's a, it's basically an imagination growing exercise. It's the ability to imagine this thing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents for very good hearted reasons, they, they want to keep their children grounded in the reality or they don't want them to feel deceived or they don't want them to feel lied to or any, so they want to keep it, keep it real for lack of a yeah. better term. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the problem is if all you do is interact with the things as they are and not things that could be or should be, you, you end up with a small imagination. Right, and I, we all know someone with a small imagination. But just <laughs> their, their their life has shrunk to the boundaries of their own existence. Um, right. This is it's it's an anti empathy, and um, it's uh, another way of thinking about it. Zadie Smith, in one of her essays, an essay that she wrote, I can't remember the title, but she was talking about the science fiction of J.G. Ballard mm. and her her experience reading it, and she describes it as the pornographic impulse, which mm. is that, which is not, she's not talking about sexual pornography, although that is an example of it, but she's talking about this, this, this mindset of how everything that you encounter can there can serve you, uh, um, yes. can do something for you. Mm. And when you, when you're anti-empathetic and you're, you're the boundaries of your imagination have shrunk to your own existence, then everything, serves that existence and nothing else. So you have become an embodied pornographic um, uh, impulse. And so it's, it, you know, 
Santa Claus is not the hill to grow or die on, but it's a symptom of like not of wanting imagination to be smaller or not wanting them to get their hopes up or not wanting them to uh, talking about hope. And so that it, it ends up becoming this utilitarian sort of life pornography reduces the ability to hope. Um, yeah. And we just become focused on ourselves. So I, I think imagination and storytelling are, are crucial to, um, to our, 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 the goodness of our existence. And um, yeah, so creativity, relationship and storytelling behind all of those is um, imagination. Oh, and the creativity that. in particular is this idea of picturing something as it not is, the imagining otherwise that we've been talking about. And um, desire is a type of that and hope is a type of that. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, and my and, and every my my friends are gonna laugh because I can't stand Santa Claus, but your point is is perfect. So I'm not <laughs> going to I'm not gonna deconstruct the point because the point is amazing. Um before I before it I doesn't respond, have to be that particular example. But, any any yeah. form of imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally, totally. Um I, I want to uh, tell you something specific too. Uh, as you use a, an example from the Bible, I want to give you actually a, uh, an example of exactly what you're talking about, about what our interpretation of the stories are and how that's the important part. Um, and in just a second, but first, let me get to some another comment. Uh, Robin says, yes, creating stories and art is a way of trying to control the not right stuff in the world. If we invent the story, we have the, we have the control, even if the ending is tragic. And that's so true. And that's what a lot of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, our ability to work through problems uh, by engaging in conflict with our imaginations. Right. And then some mm -hmm. of us take those take those things and put them on paper or put them in film. And then, you know, we have uh, we have stories um, and that is that has become a huge theme in Quentin Tarantino's filmmaking mm. um, uh, in Glorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are both examples of going back to make right the thing that was not right. Yeah. Um, and you can do it in the film. You can't, you know, you, you can't do it in real life. You can't fix history, but in the movies, he is going back and making uh, something that was wrong. Right. Yep. And I remember like halfway through Inglorious Bastards when I started to suspect that it was going to veer <laughs> from history and end in a different way. I just remember thinking that's, Brilliant. And so I'd say those are actually both really great examples of, of hopeful movies. You know, I totally cried at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because um, that's how it should have gone. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's how it should have happened. Yeah. yeah. Those are really, those are really fun movies. So, so let me give you, let me give you the, um, the opposite of when we don't see wisdom in stories, right? Mm -hmm. When we, when we, so I'm listening to uh, to a Joe Rogan podcast where he is talking to uh, another another young comic, um, and I love the Joe Rogan podcast, so I listen to it a lot because it's a lot of the of the modern thinkers he has on to discuss different topics. But this is just another comic, and they were talking about uh, cultural Christianity, and the guest the guest says to to Joe Rogan. Um, or I don't know if Joe brought it up, or one of them brings up the the, the story of, of Jonah. And one of them says, um, well, you know that he was, oh no, Job. They bring up the story of Job. And they say, Job was in the belly of a whale for 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> and now, now, this is, this is what's really fascinating to me about this, about what you said in the analysis of stories in the, in the, uh, with the intent to find wisdom in them. 
Mm-hmm. If if we look at the story just based on the facts, we could do two things. One, we could criticize their discussion about it because they got the facts all wrong, right? Like Jonah was in the not Joe, Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days uh, mm-hmm. or three nights or whatever the, the exact term was. But the really sad part about that discussion is that they were trying to prove or disprove the hypothesis that the story that occurs in the scripture was either true or not true. The problem with that is that the, both of those stories, whether you take Job or Jonah, are in, entirely instructive and super meaningful, regardless of the details about how they unfold. Now, the details matter. But what I mean is, if you take the story of Jonah, the story of Jonah is about the judgment that we have that people should not be allowed to be forgiven and the grace of God to say, no, Jonah, you need to go tell those people that are offensive to you that I will forgive them if they repent. And Jonah saying, I don't want to do it. Right. Like, like there's so much meaning and purpose in that story that is so instructive to us as to how we might live life. But if we just dissect it based on whether or not the facts actually occurred, uh, then we miss the actual truth of the story, which I think is really fascinating. So I'm glad you bring up that example because I see that happen a lot. And I'm like, there's the story is included there for a reason. Um, and I think that we, we, we get caught up in other things, but the story may be the most important part of that, of that interaction. And um, I, I just, I have to geek out for a moment, which I feel yeah, like yeah. I'm allowed to do here. Oh, um, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, Jonah you have, you have stumbled into one of my what what one editor I know calls reader cookies, um, uh-huh. which means like if you put a skeleton in a story, I just automatically going to like it. It's one of my <laughs> it's, it's one of my reader cookies. We all have those as a reader. Right, right. We're just like we're like even a bad version of a story that's got a skeleton sitting in the corner is still a good it's still a good story to someone for whom that that mean that's meaningful. Right, yeah. right. So on, in Jonah, you've hit on sort of one of my reader cookies. I think Jonah as short as it is, such a short little book, is maybe the best written book in the entire Bible. Mm. Um, and it involves, to, to fully appreciate it, involves knowing a little bit about Hebrew, mm. which is all I know about Hebrew, a little bit. Um, <laughs> but but I, you know, I recommend reading it. If, if you want to look at it yourself, reading it with a, with a commentary or something that helps illuminate you know, the language use. Mm. Um, but it is so short, but so dense and so well constructed. Um, you know, like in, in the first, just in the first couple of sentences, the word down is used um, eight times. Jonah oh, wow. goes down, 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 down. <laughs> yeah. You know? That's awesome. Um, and then he comes out, out of the whale is the first time he comes up you know, mm-hmm. uh, but then also all these sorts of things, you know, like the, the, the adjective that is used to describe the whale that usually gets translated as mighty or large, mm-hmm. um, or great mm-hmm. is the adjective used to describe the city of Nineveh where he's supposed to be going. So it's, yeah. it's sort of this, it's this idea that either way you're going to get swallowed by something mighty. Um, you know, but, but, but which one will you choose? But mm-hmm. one of the things I love the most about it is that it ends with a question. There is no, there is no conclusion as we normally think about them. Right. The last, the last sentence of the book is God asking Jonah a question, and yeah. then book's over. And yeah. what, what I, what I think is so brilliant about that from a writing standpoint is that no reader, no human brain will read a question and not have an answer. 
Yeah. You know, like no one just reads that and then they just blankly move on. Everyone mm. in the, before they even know it, there's an instinctual attempt to answer the question, right. you know, and, and it involves you. And so I, that it's just a beautifully written, beautifully written book. Um, I, I, one of my pipe dreams is one day I would like to do a sort of an English translation and layout and printing of it that highlights mm. everything that's going on in the Hebrew because so much gets lost in English um, because Hebrew is a cloud of meanings language, which means the same word can have three different meanings. Right. And often it is being used because it has those three different meanings. But in English, we have to pick one uh, to translate <laughs> right. it. Right. Um, so there's a lot of problem solving. And how do you put that in English and convey some of the, such of that, that richness of language? But um, so anyway, reader cookie. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, th- <laughs> I mean, so, so I think the, the point is too. the point in us saying that is where are we going to find things that guide us toward uh, deeper, deeper semblances of hope, right? Um, we've already talked about movies that will do that for us. We've talked about books that will do that for us. Uh, there is also something to be said for the deep meaning of, uh, of whether you think that they literally happened or not, but the stories that are told in books of wisdom. Um, and I and you and I both agree that that's uh, that's one of the one of the great ones. But there are so many others. You brought up the goods. I mean, you can go through and sit, take something like the Bible and just go through and see all of the stories of wisdom that occur. And if you're willing to use your imagination and ask the question, what is this story prompting me to think about and engage with and feel and take with me? Um, you will find amazing amounts of. I, I think you'll find a mostly hope, honestly. You'll either find one of two things. You'll find either hope or you'll find despair. And even the despair will be pointing you to a problem that you need to deal with so that you have more hope. And I think that that's just amazing. So um, just just a couple quick things before I go to the last question, because I thought that um, I was going to uh, tack on to what you said and say that that hope does something for us. And why why do we engage with stories that where we where we want to engage and have hope as an audience? One hope gives us a vision because without without uh, hope we don't e- we can't even really see a vision. If we have a a misplaced sense of vision, we might have a bad vision. It's like despair, um, but it can give us a vision. It can provide us a way out. Um, it can it can provide incentive for us to do something. It breeds positivity. I love your your your. Um, it's not hope is not. Uh, you said hope is not positivity, right? Was that the word? It's not mean? optimism. Optimism. Yeah. Perfect. It's not optimism, but it can it can start to breed those things because it can say, yeah, this is bad now, but what can we look for? It can it can take us to a better direction. Mm-hmm. It encourages action because we hopefully it, so, so we've used the Bible several times. Right. And this is what I think is really fascinating about the Bible is that if you were to stop reading the Bible and say, OK, then really what the Bible is about is like this thing I need to invest in so that I can get into heaven. You miss the part about the kingdom of God being here on earth as well and bringing the, bringing the kingdom of God here on earth or whether you're a secular humanist and you just want to bring good things to this earth. Uh, hope is going to encourage action because you can't just wait for the next thing to happen. You have to do something to bring it about. And I think that that's really cool. And then also it can unite us. And I think of all of those things, if you tie a nice little bow around them, hope, hope provides purpose. Hope can ultimately provide purpose. And that's why it's so fun to invest in stories 
that that encourage us to to think and to hope. I also think that you and I both agree we need the stories that are tragedies so that we can go, wait a minute, I need my hope to be in something greater than this. Because the tragedy of, of often the times the tragedy of everyday human life is such that I want to hope in something else, right? So I think that that's really important too. But um, let me it, go ahead. It, it, it goes right back to what we were talking about last week. We were talking about how stories are rehearsals. Mm. Um, and neurologically, our brain treats stories as rehearsals where we're learning yeah. something. And that, that ultimately, I think behind all of that is the, all the attempts to consume stories or tell ourselves stories in, in daydreams or what have you is to, what is, to find a way to lead a better life, mm. to, have, to have a better life. Mm. But that word better is a hope term yeah without the concept of hope and lament without the idea that something's not as good as it could be right now but it could be better um you know so hope is is built into just sort of the very the nature of story the nature of humanity how our brains work (laughs) (laughs) right exactly 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 and 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 let me just check in with you real quick because i didn't check beforehand are do you have a hard stop at three uh ish Okay. I, I've got some flexibility. Okay, so we're not gonna we're not gonna go very far past three. But what I'm gonna give people an opportunity to do is I'm gonna ask Caleb this last question. We're gonna talk about it. If you have other questions for us, go ahead and put those in the comments now, so that we're not trying to scramble at the end um, to answer those. And if and if Caleb has to bounce, then I'll stick around for a little bit and answer some of those questions too, um, to the best of my ability. Obviously, Caleb's better read than I am. <laughs> uh, so how can writers differently read? Different. Different, There you go. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Uh, How can writers work hope into their story? So we've talked about how important hope is to storytelling, um, how important lament is, how important despair is, but specifically, how can writers work hope into their stories? Um, Well, I'll give you the answer of a muse, Mm -hmm. um, and but then also talk about it from a more mechanical standpoint, yeah, because everyone tells stories differently, but sure. Uh, for the intuitive storytellers, the pantsers, the muses, whatever term you use for that. Um, I think all you do is you just tell stories about humans, uh, because I think as I've gotten, as I've gotten, tried to circle in my, um, that hope is an intrinsic part of being human, Mm -hmm. um, being able to imagine otherwise and imagine better Mm -hmm. and, and acknowledge things not being right acknowledge that there are problems to therefore try to solve, which is what a story is solving a problem. And so for the more intuitive storytellers, I would say, just tell human stories mm. and you can't escape it. You can't, you, you won't not have hope in it. And even if you write a perfectly despairing story, um, your audience will still have hopes of their own. They will still right. be hopeful, desiring, dreaming, imagining creatures that are consuming your story. And so they will still interact with it by the way it, it, it violates or plays with their hopes. Mm. So on that side, just tell human stories and you can't escape it. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> um, but on a mechanical side, I, I think there's two things that, that we can do. Um, and, uh, I think this is probably the point for me to bring La La Land back up for you, oh, yeah. but y- you can essentially try to fulfill your audience's hopes mm. and have things end up better. Mm. Um, which, you know, uh, Tolkien says the highest form of that is a fairy tale, whether there are mm. fantastic events or not. 
Yeah. Um, or you can intentionally violate hopes. You can build hopes and violate them. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the highest form of drama is tragedy. Um, yes. You know, also, also quoting Tolkien on that. So you have two ways that you can be very intentional. You can say, okay, I'm setting these hopes I'm setting up, I'm going to fulfill them or I'm going to um, violate them. And I will, and sometimes you will fulfill some of the hopes and violate some of the others. Um, but so I would just, the one thing I would do is I would give your work a pass when you're done reading it. Mm. Um, uh, Cause I think this plays more after the storytelling process mm. than in, because like I said, I think it comes out intrinsically in any storytelling process, mm. but afterwards go read your script or book or story or whatever it is that you're writing. And every time you, you see yourself setting up a hope for your characters or for your audience, mm -hmm. just take a note of it and, yeah. and then just decide, do I want that fulfilled or violated by the end of the story? And did I remember to do one of those to it? Right. Um, you know, and, and then I think you, you will, you will have a story that is well constructed on yeah. the principles of, of hope and and the ways that it doesn't get fulfilled as well as the ways it gets fulfilled that's awesome yeah that's that's great i love that and it, and it is exactly a great segue into the la la land example because i heard a lot of people after they saw la la land say oh i didn't like that movie at all and i think it, it, it was because they were expecting a traditional romance um which we talked about a little bit earlier and um and they didn't get that right. They didn't get the traditional ending of a traditional a traditional romance. And I'm not going to spoil it. But what I will tell you is that if there's any two things that I enjoy, it is stories that end with questions, like your example of Jonah, and it is stories that end in uh, what I would call hopeful tragedy. So the characters at the end of La La Land do not get what they initially hope for in one in one aspect but they do get what they initially hoped for in a different aspect. And they find themselves at peace at the end of the story, even though the relational hope that we had maybe was tragic. Right. So I, I love those kinds of things. One of my favorite star Wars movies is, uh, is rogue one because of the fact that it ends with hope, but essentially is a tragedy because everybody's laid waste. Um, and so that, that to me is that to me speaks, speaks to me personally. Um, I'll throw a couple more yeah. on what you were saying. Oh, go ahead. If you want to do a follow-up. Oh, I was just going to say, I loved La La Land for that same reason. Uh, the people that I saw it with did not like it for, for that very reason. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because, <laughs> yeah. because, because of the way that it ended, but I, I loved it because it was not a despairing ending. Um, mm. you know, both the characters had reached a point, um, where I would say that their lives were good, but it was just not what they it's not the version that they had been hoping for when they were young, which therefore yep. we had been hoping for as an audience. But even that, I think it teaches us different ways to hope. Exactly. Um, teaches us about staying open to a different hope than, mm. than that, that you don't have to pin all your dreams on a single imagining otherwise. Yeah. Um, just, just remember to imagine otherwise. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So good. I, I love that kind of stuff. Um, just a really quick shout out to the uh, Double Speak Studios. Here is actually the Dads That Drink podcast. Um, they received the the package I sent them. I sent them like a a merch package because they had I, my favorite interview that I've ever done for my book uh, was on that podcast. And so I'm glad you guys got it and super appreciative of you guys. So last my last comments, um, then we'll close it out. I want you to let people know where they can find you and stuff. But mm -hmm. just a couple of quick ways that writers can work hope into their stories. 
Um, giving characters desires, needs, and wants. We talked about that in the last show. So if you didn't watch the last show, go check that out there. But ultimately, you will be dealing with their hopes or crushing their hopes or, or having them fight out of despair or whatever it is. Uh, giving characters a vision for the, what the future would look like is a way to play with hope. Uh, putting the villain's hope up against the, the hero's hope, um, I think, is a really good way of dealing with hope in different ways because you add so much conflict in that in that regard. Um, I think that if you look, if you make the audience consider, this is one of my favorite portions of hope, is encouraging the audience to consider what lies either beyond the present or beyond the physical. And I think this is what resonates with so many Star Wars fans is because when you see a movie like Rogue One, you have to think beyond the physical of these people sacrifice something. What were they sacrificing for? If you don't go straight to hope, then that's just a story that ends in a tragic despair. But we know that other characters lives are moving forward. We know that the force is working on the universe to bring about, um, uh, you catastrophe in this case, just with the force instead of with a God like figure. Um, and I think that those kinds of things can be really fun to play with because they can cause, human beings to think beyond right and i think that that the audience will start to think beyond because you've encouraged them to do so um and so the last thing i have on here was the another key thing to do uh was not giving the characters exactly what they were hoping for and that's and that's sort of a the fundamental principle of, of storytelling is to not exactly give the audience exactly what they're they're looking for in all cases uh a lot of times that that might result in fan service for example um, and I'm sure that AI in the future will be able to write those stories really, really well. Um, but uh, so there you go. I think I love what you said. And uh, and those are just some things that we can tack on top of that. To, yeah. To well, and while we're doing practical things, I'd yeah, love to bring yeah. up, I love to bring up something that I think is, is special for, especially something that writers go through. It's not unique to writers, but it's something mm. that the, the way that our brains are formed um, it is a way that they can trick us um, yeah. or hurt us. And that is that we, we are good at telling stories. That's yeah. why we're writers. We're passionate about telling stories. That's why we're writers. Mm. But what we can accidentally do is tell ourselves the story of how our future is going to go mm. or, or how our career is going to go mm. or how this thing I am writing will be received. Um, and by who. Mm. Um, and we have to be really careful because that's a shadow side of storytelling um, because, because those are very narrow focuses. You know, yeah. we, we think I'm going to do this and then this will happen. Someone will react this way. And, da, da, da. and we'll tell ourselves a very clean story and it's full of our hopes um, for ourselves and mm -hmm. for our writing. But we need to remember two things. Um, that, that hope is often lateral and that hope evolves. Mm. So the things that I want out of my career now versus the things I wanted out of my career when it started in 2007 mm. are very different. Yeah. But if I only allowed myself to stick to that first hope, that first right. vision, that story I told myself, um, then I would probably, I would be in a place of desperation right now. Mm. Um, because the, just the way life and reality goes, mm. I, for, for one thing, I was much younger and more naive and I had a pretty, um, poor picturing of what a good version of what a good outcome was. I didn't even know uh, what a good outcome sure. to a writing, 
how would I know what a good outcome to a writing career was? I just started one. Um, <laughs> right, right, you know right. what I mean? Like I, I walked totally. in the door and I was telling everyone how it was going to end. Um, and so, so hope evolves as you mature, as you gain more wisdom, as you gain more experience, make sure that you uh, update your hopes accordingly. Um, but then also remember that hope is lateral, meaning the thing that you hope for is often met, but often not in the way that you pictured, mm. not in the specific way that you pictured. Yeah. So hope, update your hopes and hold them openly, um, hold them loosely. So there's room for all sorts of new so there's room for you catastrophes for, yeah. for good, for good things that happen by chance that you could have never or would have never planned. Right. Um, and, and my career has become <laughs> mostly that, <laughs> you know, um, you know, like I, I think of it as, as being faithful between, um, we can't create opportunities for ourselves uh. and as much as you want, you can't make someone else offer you an opportunity mm. or you, or, or to have it, just materialize mm. and you cannot create a result of your work. Mm. Um, you cannot make anyone like it or want <laughs> to buy it um, or not like it and not want to buy it. <laughs> like right. you, just, you have no control over the result of your work or the opportunities that come to you. But what mm. you can do is take those opportunities, be as faithful as possible with them and then send them back out into the world and let the result take care of itself. Mm. Um, uh, and then just get back to being faithful and, and define that as what it means to, to be a successful writer. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw that out there because as writers, we have a particular penchant for writing our futures and <laughs> write, writing the happy ending that we want. But the happy ending that you want when you start a career versus the happy ending that you want when you're 15 or 20 years into it are going to be very, very different. So don't hold yourselves hostage mm. to an old ha happy ending. Um, mm. uh, allow, your, uh, allow yourself to evolve to find lateral hopes, allow you catastrophes to break in um, and, and change the directions of your career. Um, and just throughout all of that, just keep writing. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So where can people find you and find ways to uh, just, just be aware of what you're up to? Uh, the easiest is my website, calebmonroe.com. Um, the, the, quickest i guess the first the first place i talk about anything is in my newsletter and if you go to the contact page on calebmonroe.com you can sign up for the newsletter it's called the writer in its natural habitat nice um and then i will also just say that the 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 live exclusive that i gave two weeks ago uh, that that the film that i co-wrote the this mongolian oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, i was gonna ask what, you about that was gonna come out and streaming the next week has happened so it came out last week um, the Mongolian Connection, uh, which I co-wrote with the director Drew Thomas, and you can you can rent it on Amazon, on Google Play. It's supposed to be on iTunes. I just haven't pulled up iTunes to check. Um, you can also order on Blu-ray and DVD. So I'll just throw that out there if you want to interact with some recent work. That's a great way to do it. Um, but then also if you just want to sort of learn more about me, things I've done in the past or things I might be doing soon, website newsletter. Awesome. Did you send out a newsletter too, by the way? I did. Finally, nice. I, well I sent it like there. three days ago. So, <laughs> uh, like the the first, or actually, I realized it's the because the second week of January, I did send a newsletter. So it was my second newsletter of the oh, year. Oh, cool! Um, first so for pandemic those, newsletter. <laughs> for those of you who hesitate about signing up for newsletters because you don't want your inbox to be bombarded, just know we're in August. <laughs> it, it, won't be. It, so <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> it will That's not awesome. get bombarded. 
and the Mongolian connection. I gotta go watch that. I want to watch that if I can. I'm gonna watch that this weekend, and we can maybe we can even talk a little bit about that next time we next time we do a show. If you feel like journeying to Los Angeles, you could come up and watch it with us because we uh, we're gonna do a screening at some point. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to do that. That'd be really that'd be really really cool. Um, well, that is it for today's show. Special thanks to Caleb Monroe for joining me today, and Thank definitely go watch me. his movie. Watch go watch the Mongolian connection because I'm sure it's awesome. Um, if you like this conversation, by the way, hit the like button for me, depending on where you're at. If you're on Facebook or even if you're on, uh, on YouTube, you can hit the like button for us. If you've got a comment or a question about hope, leave it in the comments below and I'll get back to it some other time this week as soon as I can. Caleb and I will be back in two weeks to do another live show. We'll either be talking about his movie or despair or some other topic related specifically to storytelling. If there's a storytelling or writing topic you'd like for us to cover, just let me know. You can either uh, shoot me a message on social or you can uh, leave it in the comments and we can get to that specifically. If you got yeah, suggest questions. some things. That's be, I would love suggestions. I would love suggestions. Yeah. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next, the next episode. Keep writing, keep grinding, and Caleb and I will see you on the next video. Bye. Bye.